This is the podcast for RUF at the University of Texas. A community for students to experience God's grace and express God's grace to others. For more information, visit www.ruf.org ut. Or find us on Instagram at TexasRUF. It's really an honor just to get to talk to you tonight. And yeah, if y'all don't know me, I'm Nicholas. I am one of the interns here with RUF. And uh, in, the RUF internship is a two-year post-grad ministry program. But I've loved this job and loved y'all so much that I recently decided to stick around and do a third year. So I'm excited for that. Thank y'all. Nice. Interaction. I love that. Well, thank y'all. That was really nice. Um, So tonight we're going to be looking at this passage that Joyce just read out of Genesis, where we see God make the first human beings. And what I want us to see tonight is that this passage is answering a really core question that a lot of us spend a lot of our lives asking. And that question is, who am I? Right? Who am I? What am I doing here? What's my purpose? Um. I don't know whether you saw the Pixar movie that came out last year, Soul. This is a weird movie. It, it was the strangest Pixar movie I've ever seen, for sure. It's a, it's a movie about a guy named Joe, who's a middle school music teacher. And Joe is walking down the street one day, and he falls into a pothole, and he goes into a coma. And then for the rest of the movie, Joe is not in his body anymore, but he's this little blue thing called a soul. And so he sort of wakes up on this big conveyor belt that's on its way to what's called the great beyond, which is Pixar's idea of heaven. And he doesn't want to go to the great beyond. He's not ready to leave Earth because he's got a big jazz concert coming up that night. He's got to make it too. So it's kind of funny because it's like free pass to heaven, but he wants to go back to Earth. But anyway, that's Pixar's problem, not mine. He jumps off of the conveyor belt and he ends up landing in this place called the Great Before. And this place is also really weird. It's a place where all these little blue soul babies are picking out what their passion is going to be or what their spark is going to be when they go to Earth someday. So this, this little spark that they're picking out, it's basically going to be their identity when they get to Earth. That spark is going to be how they figure out, how they answer that question, who am I? And basically the way they're going to have to do it is by looking inside, looking inside of themselves and sort of trying to dig out what's that authentic purpose, what's that authentic spark I have. And I think this movie is really interesting because I think that it really rings true with how our culture tells us we should answer the question of who am I, right? Our culture kind of says to answer the question of your identity, who are you, you should look deep inside and figure out who your true authentic self is and sort of extract it and pull it out. And maybe you ought to do some experiences to, to get it. But that's what that movie's about. And what I, what I think is also interesting about that idea is how horribly it works. Like, if that's your way of figuring out your identity, it just it doesn't work very well. I think we all know this. Um, and I think it's kind of intuitive. And what do I mean by that? Well, all of us know that if you try to sort of pull out this authentic identity from within yourself, the next thing that you're going to do is you're going to try to have it confirmed outwardly by other people. 
right? We can't have a sense of identity that isn't being confirmed by the people around us. And think about this. You wouldn't even actually have the language to express who you think you are if it hadn't been given to you by the culture that you live in. You, you wouldn't even know how to say I'm an I if you didn't have language given to you. And you, you really just also, if you start to say like, I am this and no one around you agrees with you, then you're either going to have to give up what you're trying to say you are, or you're going to start to go crazy because we sort of exist in what a philosopher named Charles Taylor calls the dialogical character of our identity, which basically means that our identities only exist in dialogue with other people. We can't really know who we are without other people agreeing with, who, with that idea. So I think that this is interesting, too, because I think that that's a lot of what we see in sort of public discourse today. Y'all probably seen a lot of this on the college campus. A lot of our public discourse is taken up by people who are adopting non-traditional identities and trying to get the rest of society to approve of those identities. Because in order for them to be valid identities, everyone else has to agree that they're valid identities. And in fact, it's not even enough that some people say they're valid. Everyone has to say they're valid because if there's anyone who doesn't think that they're valid, then your sort of your identity is getting prodded at and it's a pretty terrible feeling. And I don't say this to like condemn the people who are taking on non-traditional identities or even comment on those tonight. But what I'm saying is that when you try to look inside, invariably, you're going to end up trying to get other people to agree with what you've pulled out on the inside. And I mean, you probably experienced this. Maybe you were like a rebellious teen and you started shopping at Hot Topic because you wanted to express yourself and you wanted to be who you really are on the inside. But we all know that your self-expression matched up perfectly with the people that you wanted to be like, right? You weren't dressing to show who you truly were on the inside. You're dressing to show who you want to fit in with. That's kind of like a small example of what I'm talking about. I hope that makes sense. And one last thing I'll say on this is that I found an article in Psychology Today that said, that made the argument that you really just should never ask yourself the question, who am I? That it's a mark of psychological unhealth. And I wouldn't... I wouldn't take that question, I wouldn't take that very seriously. Like, that's just one PhD's opinion. But I think he's like getting at something which is true, which is that if you try to answer that question on your own, you're gonna go crazy. It's gonna, it's gonna be horrible. And okay, so I just spent a lot of time laying out kind of a conundrum there. But what, what do we do about that? Well, what I wanna suggest to you tonight is that if looking inside to figure out who you are doesn't work, Maybe it's because we were never supposed to define ourselves independently. Maybe we're not the kind of creature that can do that. In fact, I would say that the Bible tells us it's impossible to say who we are completely on our own because God actually made us to be mirrors. You are a mirror. All of us are mirrors. What do I mean by that? Well, our passage tonight teaches us that we are made in God's image or what the church has historically called the imago dei. And that means that we bear the image of God. Or in other words, we were made to be mirrors that actually reflect God's glory to the world. Human beings are mirrors. Okay, so I want to break down what that means tonight. I want to do it in three points. So the first point is the purpose of the mirror. The second point is the breaking of the mirror. And the third point is the redemption of the mirror. 
Okay, purpose, breaking, redemption. Let's start with purpose, and purpose has three subpoints. Okay, so purpose, what's the purpose of God making us a mirror? The three subpoints there are mirrors are meant to relate, they're meant to represent, and they're meant to resemble. Okay, so now we're going to do subpoint one under main point one, which is this relate. What do I mean by that? Okay, well, mirrors have the ability to reflect an object, right? You all know this. And in order to do this the right way, the surface has to be actually facing the object it's trying to reflect in the right way. And so what you, in other words, you could say that the mirror has to be in right relationship with the object. So that means that the image of God is not so much about anything that is in us in particular, but rather that we were made for relationship with God that our very essence is meant to be our relationship with God. That's what one theologian I found said. He says, human beings are created in such a way that their very existence is intended to be their relationship with God. Okay, so that, that's relate, relating to God, but it also means that the image of God entails being made to relate to one another. So notice how in our passage, if you look at it, God refers to himself in the plural and says, let us make man in our image. And then when he makes mankind, he sa- it says he makes them male and female. God is plural, and he makes mankind plural as well. In the same way that the Trinity is one God, three persons, mankind is one creature, two persons, meant to share in unity. Jordan talked about that last week when we talked about marriage. So, that's relate. That's, that's subpoint one of main point one. Subpoint two of main point one. Mirrors also represent God. We're, we're, we're made in his image to represent him. Um, I'm about to use some Daniel Wong material, who's here tonight, which is exciting. He taught me this in a class I took from him. Uh, in the ancient Near East, in the time period when Genesis was probably written, the kings would set up statues of themselves in the places where they exercise authority or where they claim to exercise authority. And the statues would be like a symbol which says, I'm in charge here. This is, this is where I'm in charge. And in the same way, God makes mankind in his image to represent him by, by he makes mankind in his image to represent him by ruling over the world that he has made. Okay, so he made human beings to rule on his behalf and expand the garden that he planted in Eden. Look at verse 28. God says to the humans he has just made, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. So what God is doing here is he's passing along the work that he started when he started creating the universe to human beings. He's saying, I started this. Now y'all start doing it too. Start doing the same thing that I've been doing. He says, take the world, work it, learn it, care for it. And this, this is really a cool point. I think it should do a lot of things. I think one thing that this should do is humble us, if you think about this. It humbled the psalmist in Psalm 8 when he said, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. And what David the psalmist is saying there is he's saying, God, who, who am I? Who are we that we could be in charge of this world that you've made? And so it's not so much that we represent God because of something special in us. 
It's actually that we get the honor, despite how lowly we are, of representing God and ruling over this earth. And also staying on this idea of representing God for a moment, I love this idea because I think that all of us can really feel this one in our bones. I mean, just think about how starting when you're a child, you just have this longing to be in charge of something, right? You build forts, or you get your parents to get you a playhouse so that you can have your space that you have dominion over, right? You, or whenever you uh, finally get your first locker in school, you want to put a shelf in it and a little disco ball and pictures of all of the cast of High School Musical in it because it's your place and you want to have dominion over it. You want to rule over it. This is also why every single one of you wants to own a ranch someday. You want to have this place where you can just be king over, you know, hundreds, millions, or what, thousands of acres? I don't know. I don't know what the biggest ranch is, but y'all want one. That's because God made you that way. I remember one time when I was a kid, I went to the beach with my family, and it was, I was probably about five or six, <clears throat> and it was raining all day, and so we had nothing to do, and so I went out into the garage, and I put together this little thing that I called my display, and I was so proud of it, and it was based, there's a picture of me, and it's, I basically just took like a beach umbrella and this little director's chair that I had found and set it up and then like a buoy and an old checkerboard and I like put it all together and propped it all up and it was my display and I loved it and I would bring out each family member one by one and show them my display and it was that feeling of I'm, I'm in charge of something and I think that that's it's in our bones because God made us to do that he made us to bring order out of chaos so that's represent so lastly of the sub points of the first point God makes, us man, God makes mankind in his image to be his children who resemble him, right? Children resemble their parents. So the purpose of mankind as mirrors is to be God's children. And so this is cool because it expands on the idea of our being called to represent God. It's not just that we're stewards of the creation that he's made. We're actually heirs. That's what we're meant to be. We're meant to be people who inherit the earth someday. God's original intention is that mankind would inherit the earth. Again, this should humble us. And again, with the psalmist in Psalm 8, as we reflect, no pun intended, on this idea, uh, we should say, who are we that we should have the honor of resembling you? Um, This is not the same thing as ideas that you might see on TikTok. Um, The idea of unlocking your inner goddess, right? That the inner divinity I've, I've seen some of that <laughs> flying around. It's not the same thing as that because the glory of the mirror is not the mirror, but the thing that it reflects. That's how this is different from that. If on Valentine's Day you had a date, which some of you did, and you went and picked up your date and you saw your date in the mirror in their house, and then you went up and hugged the mirror and started talking to the mirror, you wouldn't have a Valentine's date anymore. The glory is in the object that's reflected, not in the mirror. So we are given the privilege and the honor of being made, uh, of resembling God. Okay, so that wraps up big point one, which was the purpose of the mirror and brings us to big point two, the breaking of the mirror. And so like I just said, 
the glory of the mirror is not the mirror, but the object that it reflects. So if that's true, what happens when the mirror starts to try to reflect its own glory? Have you thought about that before? Well, as the mirror tries to, as the mirror tries to reflect its own glory, it turns in on itself. And y'all have seen what happens when you put a mirror up to another mirror. It, it sort of just repeats its own reflection over and over again. And it devolves into this sort of empty, infinite vacuum of confusion. It's hollow, it's meaningless, it's chaos. And in many ways, I think that's a perfect picture of exactly what happened when the first image of God was broken for the first time, when the first human being was broken. Uh, You see, I don't have the passage in your bulletin, but just a few verses later, after our passage, after God has made mankind in his image for the sake of reflecting his glory to the world and given them every tree in the garden to eat from, given them perfect abundance, the, the serpent comes along and the way that he tempts Eve is by saying, eat this and you will be like God. So then you'll be the one that gets the glory. So if we proceed again with this idea of the image of God, meaning that we're mirrors, then when Adam and Eve eat the fruit together, they begin to be mirrors who are trying to reflect their own glory, which doesn't work. The mirror is broken then, and it's bent out of sorts, and it's pointing in the wrong direction. So, so then, then what happens to human beings then if they're broken image of God, images of God? Well, I'll just run through the, the three aspects that we just talked about a minute ago. Instead of relating to God and to others, we rebel from God and from others, and we run away from others and hide, and we hurt others. And instead of representing God by expanding the garden and bringing more order and beauty into the world, we exploit the earth and hoard its resources. We sacrifice beauty for efficiency or for profit. And instead of resembling the great giver of life, who God made us to be his children, we start to resemble the evil one who only takes and destroys. And in many ways, the fact that we still bear the image of God, despite all of that, makes our sin even more grotesque, right? The greater the being, the harder the fall. The fact that we're bent on evil is devastating because of the good that we were made for. And I don't know about you, but doesn't this just kind of ring true to your experience? I mean, don't you kind of just sense deep down that you were made for something good? Or if you don't sense it now, maybe you have before, you do at times, or maybe you sensed it before you were a kid and the world gave you more reasons to believe that it's all meaningless. Do you sense that, that you were made with a capability for good? Well, here's the funny and tragic thing about that. What do people tend to do when they, whenever they start to sense that really strongly? We tend to start to try to be good. And our world has lots of versions of being good. You can be good by going to church or by going to RUF or by going to doing philanthropy, by getting into activism or by getting a rescue dog or by choosing a career that's less about the money and more about your passion or helping others or by becoming an influencer who posts a lot of positive messages on your stories, whatever your uh, means of being good may be. We, we sense that we were made for good, so we start to try to be good. But if we're really honest with ourselves, all the good that we do is tainted by selfishness. 
again, we're still those mirrors that are turned in on ourselves, trying to reflect our own glory. Every good thing we do is tainted by the selfishness of wanting to give yourself glory. So this, this is a conundrum again. What, what do we do about this? If we're so broken that when we try to do good, the good that we were made for, we just end up trying to glorify ourselves, how can we be restored? How can we be put back together? And that brings us to our last point, the redemption of the image of God. Um, listen to this short passage from the book of Colossians. This is, Colossians is a letter that Paul is writing to a body of believers who are all new believers. This is what he says to them. He's trying to encourage them to walk in obedience. This is how he goes about it. Paul says, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Do you see what he's doing there? By using that word image, Paul is saying that Jesus is the true image of God. He's the only one who perfectly reflects God. Jesus, who's the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh, took on a human body to come and be what mankind failed to be. He was the perfect mirror. During his time on earth, he said, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And in fact, Jesus was so much so the perfect mirror that he perfectly reflected the self-giving love that the father had been giving him for all of eternity. What did that look like? Jesus completely gave himself away to us so that we might learn to give ourselves away to others. He was the perfect mirror. Um, earlier on, I, I mentioned how if you think about a mirror, it only works right if it's facing the object that it's supposed to be reflecting. And so when we realize that Christ is the perfect image of God, who, though he did not deserve it, did not deserve to be killed, gave his life so that we might be able to have a relationship with him. When you begin to understand that and understand his love, you and I as broken mirrors will begin to actually face him again because we'll know that he's someone we can face in love. And then remember how we talked about how God, how we as image bearers of God were meant to rule and reign over this world and inherit it as his heirs? Well, God is actually making us right in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit so that one day we might actually rule and reign over this world forever. That's how the Bible ends. It doesn't end with our souls floating up to heaven. Actually, it ends with God coming down out of heaven to earth to be with mankind on earth where we will rule and reign with him as perfect image bearers, made perfect through the power of God in Christ. So if you're a Christian tonight, know that that's what you are. You're a broken mirror made to reflect God to the world who in Christ is being put back together again that you might one day reflect him and enjoy him perfectly. But also maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. And if that's you, first off, 
I just want to say that we're so glad you're here. We really hope you'll keep coming back. Uh, the second thing I'll say to you is, as I mentioned earlier, there's that, that article in Psychology Today where that psychologist says, yeah, don't ask the question, who am I? It's a mark of psychological unhealth. Um, let's lean into that and say that I think that he's right if you're trying to figure out who you are apart from your creator. The God who made you to be a mirror, <clears throat> or sorry, the God who made you made you to be a mirror. So looking inside yourself to figure out your identity is just going to make you feel crazy and empty and hollow and purposeless, like a mirror infinitely reflecting itself. I'd invite you instead to continue to come to read the Bible and uh, ask God to reveal to you more about the identity that he made you for and that he offers to redeem in Jesus. So that's the invitation tonight. Let's pray. Father, again, I just pray that your words would uh, fall on hearing ears tonight. And if there's anything that I said that doesn't align with your word, your truth, that it would fall away. But if there was truth, I pray that it would stick and that you would continue to remake all of us in your image and that we might learn to live that way and, and reflect you to the world. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.